Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, in our previous episode, we were kind of contrasting how people can try to go for long-term gains, but because they're caught up in short-term corruptions and whatnot, that it doesn't really work. And where I have obviously come up in my life is I study a lot of history and stuff like that. And what amazes me is how people will put faith in politics almost as if it were a religion. And what I have seen throughout history, um, just strictly looking at the two parties in the American system, how what someone might have so much faith in a single issue, a party will switch on it like a dime. Um, So to give uh, an analogy here, during most of the Cold War, the Republican Party was the one sponsoring and behind the FBI and the CIA to get the advantage over um, the communist, communist side. Well, now we see them completely switching sides and the Democrats being fans of the CIA and the FBI because they helped use them to bring down Trump. So I bring that up. Um, as just one of gajillion examples I could do to show that the contrast between trying to have a religion in politics versus a religion in absolute truth. Because there's no no thing that any modern doctors of the church, nothing John Paul II wrote, that is in blatant contradiction, a total 180, from anything that St. Thomas Aquinas, for instance, wrote. Um, yes, it built upon it and became more sophisticated, but John Paul didn't come out and say, because I'm Pope now, everything the Popes in the early 1900s said is completely wrong. We're going a different direction because I'm Pope now and I'm not Italian. Um, so I think that that's a very important point of the stability of truth, if you will. Truth is absolute. and to put faith in something that isn't absolute is an inevitable disaster to have it crumble beneath your feet. So I get that this is a topic that probably is not super popular, but given the kind of statistics that you brought out the last couple of uh, months or so about how Americans are becoming less and less religious, I think the vacuum that people are falling into to replace religion is the politics of the day. And I kind of wanted to spend some time kind of really diving into that because it's a massive problem. Um, Personally, I believe a lot of the measures that came out of the last two years is a spawn of this evil. And I do think it's a fundamental evil that's plaguing our people. So I wanted to use this episode to discuss that. No, that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. um, As I mentioned in our last episode, I mean, the politics has become so problematic in the lack of trust and uh, corruption. We have associated politicians with a certain kind of uh, uh, slimy untrustability. 
and uh, and then it becomes kind of power blocks and uh, echo chambers and I don't know all of these things that uh, just really have moved away from the ideal of the statesman and uh, the virtuous man who is able to represent others who can be trusted to promote the common good and to keep in mind the the needs of the average citizen and those those ideals seem to be so far from what we what we see i know uh one of my uh many responsibilities is promoting the cause of blessed carl of austria who was the last emperor of the austro-hungarian empire who was therefore a politician he was the uh imperial ruler he was the the emperor of uh, austria and the king of hungary until uh um, he they they lost uh world war 1 in 1917 1918 and uh he was a saint you know he was a holy man and the idea of a holy politician always strikes people it's like whoa where did that come from you can have those 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 exist uh so it's uh it's become so problematic but as you point out Joe, i mean what other power structures do we have to hold on to the our basic feeling is well um there's a fair amount of my life that's in my own control and especially in america we don't feel our freedom impinged upon on a daily basis so much i mean i can basically do what i want to do today i don't have other people telling me what i have to do or uh putting some kind of uh, pressure on me to do or not do the things that I would want to do. So I'm, I'm essentially free in that. Now, as things change, especially I being a public religious figure, that could change. I may have some threat against me to say the things that I want to say or to do the things that I want to do. Our uh, religious institution, our college, our seminary, could have pressure investigations could have government control i mean these things happen now in other countries it's not a uh, unimaginable and it could happen in the united states but for the most part now at a level of personal liberty i have quite a bit to do the things that i need to do i can walk around in my religious habit i can go to the gas station or a restaurant wearing uh, religious garb and people look at me funny but nobody is threatening to arrest me or shoot me uh, so there's a fair amount of personal freedom in that. Uh, at the same time, we all feel the uh, helplessness, the powerlessness before forces which are much larger than ourselves. And maybe uh, we experience that in the price of goods. When we go to the gas station, it's like, well, 350 or, you know, whatever, however much gas is now, you know, it's like this kind of fluctuating price. And we start to think, wasn't it like a dollar less, you know, last week? And who has control over this? And what what can I do about this? Uh, and then I start to feel really helpless. Like, I mean, what's to stop them from jacking up the price to like 10 bucks? And then what if I can't drive? Well, that's going to really restrict my personal freedom. And, and that's just one example of how we can feel very small. Now in the pandemic, we really experienced this, like a lockdown, like who dis- who decides that? And, and if they can decide to lock everything down, I mean, what else can they decide to do? And, and then we, we really start to feel our helplessness before powers that are much greater than we are. And, and that makes us want to align with certain kinds of power blocks. And we do that in different ways. And, you know, we had a, 
around the same space of time, uh, a number of riots. I mean, that's one way to align with a power block is you get together with other rebels or revolutionaries and you start throwing Molotov cocktails into storefront windows. And well, that's, you know, then you feel kind of powerful and jacked up about that. And, you know, and, and uh, obviously that's a very destructive way to claim power, which I'm not endorsing for the record. Uh, but then on the other hand, you know, so, well, who, who has power and uh, how do you, how do you do something about that? And, and we've, you know, figured out some ways to, obviously the, the political system is meant to empower individuals who come together, not in violent power blocks, but in peaceful power blocks to align interests and to move things forward. And the idea is that if you get enough people to do it, that the truth uh, more or less corresponds with the majority of good people who are able to make together prudential decisions in, in order to uh, benefit the common good. And uh, that's an, it's a nice idea that kind of works at, at its best in a vacuum. But uh, the reality is that truth is not decided by the majority, ultimately. And, and uh, there are absolute moral norms. Not everything is a prudential decision. Uh, killing someone or not is not a prudential decision. It's an absolute moral norm that you can't murder an innocent. And so uh, we don't get to decide that. Even if uh, a lynch mob shows up and they all decide it's a good idea to lynch somebody, that doesn't make it right. And so you can't simply subject truth to majority rules. And we, we know that very well. But uh, then how do you tease these things out? And and that's what, I mean, there are a lot of different things that interact where you have a law which needs to correspond to divine law around these moral absolutes, but there are also areas of prudential judgment that divine law doesn't dictate. I mean, you can look at the, uh, well, the price of gas, for example. I mean, there's nothing in divine law that determines the price of gas. It It, it can't extort, I suppose, but um, anyway, two bucks or three bucks or ten bucks. I mean, divine law doesn't doesn't uh, adjudicate that. So there are there are those elements which are subject to somebody's rule, and then you know coming to that conclusion can involve a number of people, and that's kind of the path that our country has taken: is that democracy is a viable way to discern together prudential judgments, but it's meant to exist within the code of truth that has been revealed by the creator that's written into our nature. Uh, it doesn't matter if I think that, uh, well, like I ought to get to murder somebody. Well, it's so, it, just because you think that doesn't mean it make it right. And, and in fact, one of the things, uh, someone like John Henry Newman, who spent a lot of time reflecting on conscience would say that uh, we, we are all aware of being in touch with a power that's much greater than ourselves, that is transcendent, and and standing before a judge who is not subject to our judgment and who is not of our own creating. We all have a sense of, uh, of being uh, before a God. And although we don't necessarily have totally clear understanding of who that is or what he expects, all of us in our nature have that sense. 
That's, uh, that's what we call conscience. And then if I want to know who that is and what he expects, that's where his revelation of himself that we encounter in the, in the scriptures and comes to us through the church uh, helps to inform that, that sense. And so I have to act as a, as a sovereign individual according to my conscience in relationship with God. And then together with my fellow man, I can start to discern what are the kinds of decisions that we need to make together in order to uphold the, the common good and, and provide for all people. So that's, uh, you know, that's fairly complicated stuff and, and uh, it's, it's hard to articulate. And there are people who certainly articulate it much better than I just have. Um, but it, it's much more simple than, or it's much more complex than the kind of simplistic approach of, I want my team to win. And so I'm going to line up with uh, my group of thugs and whether by voting or by violence, we're going to get our way. <laughs> That's a very different approach than the sensitive internal awareness of conscience, than the effort to discover what is true and uh, the moral law that I have to live by. And then with that in mind, discerning pathways uh, in areas of prudential judgment that are not divinely revealed, but that we need to sort out together as a society to establish a common good. Um, you know, that's uh, that requires a level of virtue that seems to be less and less present in the voting population. And and as you point out, as uh, people are becoming unmoored from religious foundations, we're not cultivating that virtue and contact with absolute truth and revealed truth. As we as we once did, and that just threatens all of these processes even more. And many thoughts from that, and and the first one about talking about how powerless we are. Um, the people who keep going for power essentially make this promise that never gets followed through up with: is they will take care of you. Um, you know, we're not going to let you go to work, but we're going to give you a check. Well. That doesn't that doesn't work at all, and the analogy that was coming to me as you articulate this was the truth is is kind of like a river. It's going to go the way that it is, and you can say that the river should turn right at this corner, uh, but it's going to do what it does because it is what it is, and you saying whatever you feel like it ought to do is irrelevant. The truth is what it is. And I can see how it is something that, you know, in economics, I can explain to you why gas price changes and why it's more now or less now. You know, I can, there's a science behind that, that that can be articulated. And, you know, some people just agree with it or not, but at the end of the day, you have to pay for it because, you know, that's the laws of economics where we're at in the supply and demand curve. This is where the price is um, and to put it in very simplistic terms. I can obviously take that to like a calculus level, but the point being the truth isn't evolving in front of us. It's not that, Hey, we got 10 people over here selling truth, but only three people want to buy it. So, Whoever two of them want a super potent version and one of them wants a super watered down. So 
you three guys who are making it super potent, you got some buyers, and you seven who are watering it down will take a race to the bottom. And that's how markets work, which is fine. You know, some people want more salty chips. Some people want cheesier chips. It's why we have different products. That's fine. But that's not how truth works. And we've been attacking this, you know, problem, I guess, from different vantages over the last five years of recording this episode. Um, you know, some of it is, is that no one trusts an expert anymore. You know, as you, you said here today that, you know, all politicians are slimy. How can we have a holy one? Well, that's not trusting experts. Um, that's not trusting anyone. And as we've discussed, the only real way to build up trust is through actual human relations. And it brings to me a thought that I've had that um, is actually scary. I, I've read it in, in regards because the Olympics are going on in China right now. Um, this notion that people can talk to an, a program online believe it's a real person and get emotional satisfaction or satiation, whatever the appropriate term from it is flat outright scary to me. Um, and I'm reading a report that nearly 20% of the men in China have done this uh, because there's a generation that basically had no women um, and that they, they're getting essentially satiation from an internet program from from a computer program. And that scares the hell out of me. So when I talk about human relations, I mean like actually, you know, knowing the other person now, father, I've met you in person. We've eaten together. I see you every time we do these recordings through the internet. And I'm not trying to say that the internet has no place or anything, but to, to get the true nuance and in knowing someone I think is really the only solution to the problems we have here. You know, if you consider yourself um, an MSNBC person, try building relationships to who you would perceive as a hardcore Fox person um, or whatever the other analogy is. Um, So I think that that's something that obviously the faith calls us to do. It's something that, that, that we call each other to do, but I wanted to, really use this episode to kind of get explicit with it because when we get to these gray spaces of you should know what to do, but we don't ever really tell about it. I think that's really bad um, teaching. And I think that's unfortunately how most of us learn the moral side of life. You know, school is so emphasis on this is the subject. We're covering this. You're learning geometry today. You're going to teach everything you need to know about geometry but when it comes to learning about the truth of the natural law and, and, and God, essentially, you'll figure that out on your own. Well, what, what do you think is more important, being able to figure out the area of a triangle or figuring out how to be able to, to live a, a virtuous life? So um, I just bring that out there as something that, you know, we got, you know, a couple of minutes here left in this episode and. I'm sure that you've had something that's burning in your mind that um, that needs to come out. So I want to give you a chance to conclude with that. Yeah, well, you make a great point, Joe. I mean, how important it is to 
have these kinds of discussions and uh, yeah, explore. As I say, there is something that's written on the human heart that makes us aware that there is a right and wrong that, that we don't get to define. It's a right and wrong that preceded us. And whether we know specifically the, the details, you know, uh, because our minds have been darkened by sin, because our will has been weakened by sin, um, both uh, the, the original sin, the lack of sanctifying grace from our conception, and then only restored in baptism, and we're you know gradually incorporating that, our our conscience doesn't see clearly without some assistance, and that's where education, uh, the formation of the conscience, is is so important, so that we can have that sense of what's the right thing to do in this situation, not just a. Uh, uh, you know, the, the right thing, perhaps in general, we need to be able to apply it concretely to our lives. And so uh, how do we do that? And as you point out, education and morality, education and virtue is, is something that's very important. Uh, and we don't, we're, we've become anxious of to talk about that, you know, we're sort of pushing the Ten Commandments out of the, the school system, we're out of the court system, we're out of, you know, it's like, well, the Ten Commandments, I mean, the formulation of those things comes from Judaism, but the Ten Commandments are natural law. I mean, it's written on every human heart. And teaching that helps to reemphasize it. It, it allows the, the conscience to echo the, the truth. So when, you know, when I'm little and I, and I hear, don't hit your brother, you know, be, be nice to your neighbor, um, don't do that to the cat, you know. It echoes in my heart, and I acknowledge, yeah, yeah, that's right. There's there is a law that's there that's that preceded me, and that is greater than me, and that ultimately I have to be obedient to, and I will be judged by, and it and it helps to echo that in my heart, as opposed to going against that in such a steady way that I start to silence that law written in my heart, uh, and so we want to help people to hear the the voice of conscience. And we do that by reinforcing it, teaching the good, forming children in the good, teaching this in school. And, um, and, and maybe we have, there, I mean, there's always a temptation to overemphasize certain things or uh, to get our own agenda or our own ideas mixed in with that, which is universal. And, and maybe we've done that in the past in an unhelpful way. And that's, you know, created some of the the backlash that's put us into this place of well, no, don't, now don't teach anyone anything. Uh, and then there are some approaches to childhood development that are like that. I mean, it's the the sort of noble savage ideal that uh, something like the Lord of the Flies is meant to debunk by saying, no, if you put a bunch of uh, boys out on an island, uh, they're they're not sort of going to be uncorrupted by society by moral teachers. Uh, they're, they're going to go crazy and, and make an even more savage society. What, what we have in society is not uh, inhuman. It's actually much more human. With, with no moral compass, uh, everybody goes astray. And so we need to reinforce what is, what is good and true for, uh, to, to help reinforce that voice of conscience. And and sure, you know, we, we don't get a, we're always in need of, of correction. We talked about the importance of having a healthy self-doubt, that we can be open to another perspective, that we can listen attentively to someone who is trying to tell us something that's better for our long-term good. 
and uh, we, we want to be uh, open in those ways. But uh, at the same time, there is a lot that we can teach confidently. We can teach absolute moral norms, and we can uh, reinforce what is good and true in a way that people will recognize, and we don't have to apologize for that. So um, anyway, those are, uh, these, are, these are big, big things that uh, are, are important to talk about and important to get in our minds, I think. Uh, we're not all in a position to implement these, although every parent is. Every parent can implement these things, certainly with early childhood. Uh, it gets more difficult when your children are adults. Um, but people are involved in school districts and involved in uh, relationships with, with teachers, educators at primary, high school, college levels. Um, you know, we, we have a vote and we can be discerning about what policies our, our politicians are promoting and whether that's really a, a good idea to support. We can be critical about that without being sort of tribal and, and uh, uh, mob-oriented. And so these are these are important things to think about and great things to talk about. Glad, glad that you bring them up, Joe. Well, thank you for that. I'm, I'm glad that I'm bringing up things that are relevant and important. <laughs> so, um, so with that being said, we hope that everyone out there also thinks these are relevant and important. And if so, you know, please give us a rating or click that little share button on your respective app and let someone else know about it. We greatly appreciate growing by word of mouth is the primary way we have grown and it has worked out very well. So we thank everyone for continuing to tell a friend and we will be with you here next week.